Okay, I want to start off today with um, a very um, interesting tale. It's actually a true story. And uh, quite a number of years ago now, they made an educational movie of this story because they thought it was an important story that people needed to know about. So I'm just going to read this to you to begin with. It's called A Cipher in the Snow. And the film opens to a snowy scene of children waiting for a school bus on a cold winter's morning. Some are making snowballs and throwing them at the fence. Others are laughing and talking. Some are stomping their feet to keep warm. All except Roger. Roger's standing by himself at the edge of the group, staring at the ground. It's as though he is invisible. The others crowd around him when the bus finally arrives. But no one speaks to Roger or even acknowledges he exists. Roger doesn't lift his head. The children rush to see who can get on the bus first, piling into seats, happy to be out of the cold, all except Roger. He's the last one on the bus. He wearily mounts the steps as if each one requires a monumental effort. He stops briefly, looking expectantly into the faces of other children, but no one beckons him to join them. Heaving a sigh, he slumps into the seat by himself behind the driver. The bus door slams shut and the bus driver, after glancing behind to check all is in order, slowly pulls away from the curb and out into a country lane. They only travel a few miles when Roger drops his books and staggers to his feet. Standing next to the bus driver, steadying himself on a metal pole, Roger has a wild and distant look in his eyes. Shocked by his sudden ill appearance, the bus driver asks, Are you all right? Are you sick or something? Kid, what's the matter? Roger never answers. Not knowing what else to do, the bus driver pulls over and opens the bus door. Roger staggers down the steps, pitches forward and crumples into the snow. As the opening scene to the movie ends, an ambulance siren is heard in the distance, but you know its arrival is going to be too late. The movie is a true story of a young boy who actually dies on his way to school and the confusion over the reasons for the boy's death. Medical records showed that there were no problems. The autopsy gave no reasons. It was a mystery until one concerned teacher began to investigate Roger's life. The teacher found that bit by bit, Roger's life had been erased like a blackboard. Initially, he was a really promising student until problems at home began. His parents' marriage disintegrated and his new stepfather was really jealous of his new wife having any time with Roger. His mum loved Roger but was too intimidated to give him any attention at all. Roger was left with only the cold ache of indifference. Roger's schoolwork suffered and eventually even his teachers gave up on trying to get him to work and left him to himself. Roger withdrew, lost the few friends he had, gave no response to any children who tried to engage him and slowly he retreated into a world of silence. In only a few short months, everything or everyone of any value had been lost or taken from him. With no place or shelter and no words of encouragement, he felt like a cipher, an empty zero. This sensitive child was unable to stand the pain for long. Roger was not killed by a sickness or a physical wound. He was actually killed by a lack of words of love and acceptance. It acted like a deadly cancer and ate away his will to live. Believing he was totally alone and unwanted, he died like a cipher 
in the snow. You know, in Proverbs chapter 18, 21, it says that death and life is in the power of the tongue. And also in Proverbs chapter 3, it says, do not withhold good from those when it's in your power to be able to give it. Many of you have read a book by the man called uh, Gary Chapman. He's written a series of books called The Five Love Languages. And um, in those books, he identifies that there's actually five languages that, we, um, that are essential for us to experience so that we can feel loved and accepted. And one of those is words of affirmation that he picks out. And that's simply saying positive or writing positive things about people when they're present and also when they're not present. And um, that's a really profound thing. Mark Twain, the famous author, said, I can live for two months on a really good compliment. Gary Smalley and John Trent actually wrote a really amazing little book called The Gift of the Blessing quite a few years ago now. And they identified another five essential things that people need to develop healthy emotions and relationships. And you can see up there, the five of them are meaningful touch, a positive spoken message, a sense of value, um, that they are given a special future picture to live for and that there is someone there who's committed to see that future fulfilled. What I find interesting about what they've um, written is that those last four things written down there require words to communicate that into people's lives. You know, without positive, affirming words, people are left unsure of their personal worth and their acceptance. We all know that saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but yeah, okay, words, names will never hurt me is a big fat lie, okay, because we know that words have incredible power to hurt us. But you know, words have also got incredible power to build us up and to show us love. I want to tell you a totally contrasting story to that first one. When I was a little girl, um, I was in primary school and for the very first time I was allowed to go to the pictures all by myself with just my friends. No older people. It was an exciting moment in a little nine or ten-year-old's life. And the movie that we went and saw was Charlotte's Web. It was back then in the long, long time ago. Um, it was just a little animated cartoon, a very kind of like humble picture. But this week I actually got to relive my childhood and I went to the movies with Robin and we caught up on the 21st version, 21st century version, which has got a lot more um, spectacular kind of cinema effects and everything. But what a profound little story. A very profound, simple child story with a very amazing impacting message. Anyone seen it? Anyone read the story? Yeah, you know this story? Okay, what an amazing story. I'll catch you up for all you adults who don't live in children land. Okay, it's about this little pig called Wilbur. And he's a runt, okay? He should not have actually survived because there's only 10 teats on a big mummy pig and he was the 11th born. So they're going to chop his head off right from the word go. But he gets rescued, okay? And he gets the chance to live. And he ends up in this barn and he makes friendship because he's a nice little pig, okay? He makes a friendship with an extremely unacceptably, you know, antisocial type character, the spider, okay? And her name's Charlotte. And, uh, you know, like, who wants to make friends with a spider? But the pig's desperate and he does. Um, the barn is actually an extremely negative environment when he hits the barn, okay? But the spider's quite impressed. Here's this little pig who, you know, 
overcomes all these social barriers and makes friends with me. And um, the, the barn animal, animals have been kind of like jibbing him because he goes, you're just a spring pig. You're only going to last till Christmas anyway, you know. And um, the spider goes, that's so unfair. He's such a nice pig, you know. He made friends with me. And so she determines in her heart, what can I do to save the pig's skin, okay? And the amazing thing is Charlotte the spider comes up with this idea, how do I communicate with the farmer that the pig's life is worth something? And so she spends all night, it's really exhausting, she spends the whole night weaving away and in the morning there's this incredible web and it says, some pig, like somebody, okay, some pig. And, um, you know, there's two amazing things happen. Um, The farmer gets a shock for starters, but all the barn creatures begin to get a bit of a different attitude about the pig. The problem is the word is not enough to save the pig's life, okay, So they go on this big um, search for the right words, the words of life that are going to save the pig's skin. And, you know, the story goes on of all the stuff they do. The next word they come up with, let's try the word terrific. And it wasn't because the pig was terrific, but the pig felt terrific. And the more people hung around and after they got, you know, used to this word terrific being woven into the week, all of a sudden people began to have a better attitude about life and all the snooty negative animals began to appreciate life and they started having wonder at the sunrise in the morning and all that sort of stuff. But it still wasn't enough, okay? So still searching for a word of life that will save this pig's skin. And so they do the word radiant and the same thing begins to, uh, you know, like a bit more of a roll-on of the effect of this life word that's been woven. And then finally, time is running out, okay? Christmas is on the way. Winter is coming and the spring pig's going to end up with an apple in its mouth if they don't find the right word of life to save its skin. And so they end up writing the word humble in the spider's web. And that word does it. But Charlotte the spider, in doing that, it was such a huge effort, she actually gives up her life to write the word humble in the spider's web web and the the spider dies just before she dies she gives birth to this great big bundle of baby spiders okay which um brings new life and um the pig actually gets saved okay doesn't end up christmas dinner and she gives her life to write the word of life that will save the pig's life which is very very amazing um At the end of the movie, they kind of tell you, you know, everything gets rosier and rosier. But they say this really amazing statement and talks about the animals in the barn. It says, feeling special made them begin to behave special, even the hardest of hearts. And um, I just think, go kids movies, (laughs) okay? What a profound message. You know, in the beginning, God spoke the word and the whole of creation came into being. When he sent his son to communicate God's love and his plan of salvation, he sent the word, okay? And that word, the word is our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God always communicates his love and blessing through words and through the word. I just want to pray. Lord... (laughs) I've been talking for a few minutes now and Father, I just so pray, Lord God, that your spirit would come and just open our hearts to what you want to speak into our lives today. Father, stir us up, challenge us, cause us to rise. 
to where you would love us to be. And God, may we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, John 1.14 says, So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Colossians 3 says this, it says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Let, let it richly dwell in us. We live in a world bombarded by words, okay? We've got the internet, we've got the media, we've got newspapers and magazines and books and we just get uh, bombarded, billboards, words, words all the time. And yet we live in a world where people are starving. They are crying out for words of life that will give them love and acceptance, that will give them meaning to life, words that show value and worth and hope words of healing and words of forgiveness. You know, when people come and encounter the house of God, which is us, okay, they need to encounter a company of people who actually speak a whole new language, a kingdom language, okay, a language that's made up of words of life um, because we know intimately the word of life and he should be coming out of our words. Jesus, the word of life, he's given us the authority to speak words of life. He's gifted us, okay, with words of life. Um, Jeremiah chapter 1 is a favorite scripture of mine. And even though this was written to God's prophet way back then, I believe it's a word for us right now. It says, before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my spokesman or spokesperson to the world. For you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. Then the Lord touched my mouth and said, See, I've put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you to stand against nations and kingdoms. You're to uproot some and tear them down to destroy and overthrow others. But you're to build others up and plant them. You know, the kingdom of God is made up of every tribe, every tongue or language and every nation, but there's a distinction in the kingdom of God and that is the kingdom language, okay? These words of life, life that God has gifted us with. The book of Proverbs, I've spent a lot of time in Proverbs over the last couple of weeks, um, has words of life, okay? It speaks about words of life. It says words of life are precious like silver or choice fruit, refreshing water, Pleasant to taste, they bring health, they bring healing, they bring nourishment, understanding, they promote learning, life, salvation and those who use them are wise, speak timely, speak eternally, Um, we speak with restraint, we cheer people up and we quiet anger. That's what words of life do. I find it amazing back in the early 1900s during the Welsh revival and, uh, and it's documented in history that the miners when they all got saved and born again and their mouths got redeemed into kingdom language, the donkeys didn't know how to work for them anymore because they were used to cussing and swearing and cursing and all this hard language and they had to retrain the donkeys. It's so amazing because the donkeys just go and not do it. You know, they used to go, you know, do, do, blop, blop. and um, they'd respond. But all of a sudden there was these like kind-hearted miners with really nice language and they didn't know what to do. Proverbs 24 gives a great description of God's house. It says, By wisdom a house is built. Through understanding it's established. By knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And wisdom, understanding and knowledge are all communicated through words. Um, Bobby Houston from Hillsong Church is like a 
a personal hero of mine. This woman, not only does she champion the house of God, but she champions words of life. And I, I actually love um, like coming under the influence that she pervades because it's something amazing. She, um, she has just really challenged me in my life to rise into words of life. Um, words like flourish and magnificent, irresistible, breathtaking and captivating um, are slowly getting woven into my vocabulary because they are words of life and they're kingdom words. They're words of the house of the king. And you know, when you experience what they present, representing God's house, they present words not just spoken, okay, but the words they they um, are presented, they're almost tangible, okay, and they're presented visually, they're presented out throughout people's lives, um, just incredible. They bombard you, beautiful, awesome, inspiring words from the car park, okay, into the foyer, from the what goes on on the screens, which is just amazing, okay, in the auditorium, through people's testimonies, through the words they write for worship to our King, through the preaching of the Word, right down through all the graphics that they do, any publications they do, but right even to the very back of the toilet doors, okay, are these words of life. And written across the mirrors in the bathroom are words of life. And they just make you, like, they make you think and they push you up higher and you realise, this is what I'm born for. I am born to speak words of life, words of hope, words of healing, words of conviction. Because kingdom language spoken by a caliber of people who've encountered the king and the kingdom of heaven are life words, okay? And that's what we should be breathing out of us. We are brave-hearted people. We are worship-hearted people. We're servant-hearted people. We're big-hearted people. And we've got a big bundle of life words to give out to humanity. You know, our king is captured by three Three things, if you can call them things. Number one, he is so captured by his son. Number two, he's so captured by his church. And number three, he's totally captured by hurting humanity. And that should capture our hearts. We should so want words of life coming out of us to to the son, to each other, and out to lost humanity, to the world, to others. Philippians tells us, it says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of Christ. Okay, that word worthy is actually a worship word, okay? Conduct yourselves in such a manner that it's worshipping Christ. Do everything without complaining or arguing, Philippians 2 says. And then further on it says that we're to shine. I think Val prayed that prayer today. Shine like stars in the universe, holding out the word of life. I find Jesus incredible. There he was in absolute incredible agony, hanging on the cross. He'd been cruelly treated, unfairly treated, just like just the pit of horrible humanity treatment on him, plus the sin of the world, everything. And yet, regardless of all that, regardless of the circumstances, no matter what, what does he do? He reaches out and he speaks words of life to the thief dying next to him. He could totally put himself aside like the spider, okay, and die giving the word of life. Now that's great and Jesus is in us, but there's a problem, okay. And in Revelations chapter 12, verse 15, it says this, 
Then the dragon, who we know is the devil, tried to drown the woman. Okay, and that's just a picture of the church with a flood of water that flowed from its mouth. That's a very polite way of saying a river of vomit. Okay, and that river of vomit is full of words of death, which are totally the opposite to words of life. In Proverbs, it gives us some descriptions about words of death. It says that words of death separate friends, breed sin, crush the spirit, are wasteful, perverse, foolish, malicious, opinionated, hateful, hurtful, unbearable, provocative and vengeful. It results in gossip, quarrels, deception, ruin, wounds, imprisonment, flattery, despair. It stirs up trouble, anger, strife and rebellion. And those who use words of death lack judgment, Proverbs tells us, they will be judged and they'll be ensnared by those words. Um, I was also reading the book of Philippians, as you can tell, which has got lots about words, okay, the words we should be using and the words we shouldn't be using. And, um, and it talks about people who are supposed to be speaking words of life, preachers of the gospel. And it says some preach out of envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, false motives, insincerely and stirring up trouble, okay, when they should be speaking words of life instead of out of goodwill and love. You know, the root cause of negativity, complaining, criticism is self. Okay, it's when we get self-focused, we spiral down into this vomit from the devil, basically. That's what it is. And, um, and you know, we need to realise that that's a reality and to get challenged to not go there, okay, not to slide down into that. We need to learn the language of the kingdom and discipline our lives to speak words of life. I find it interesting. If I'm, I can't speak another language other than English, apart from speaking in tongues. And um, every so often someone tries to teach me some words in another language. Like when I go to Russia, it took me forever to be able to say Strastvucha, <laughs> which is hello. Like why do they, why can't they just say <laughs> hi, you know. But anyway, um, but the clue when I've been hanging around all these language people that, you know, can speak five or six languages because they're really smart, um, is that it's not like just hearing the word, but you've got to learn where to put your tongue inside the mouth to make the right sound. And once you've got that down, Juno's nodding, <laughs> um, once you've got that down, then you can actually begin to learn the language because you know where to put your tongue in your mouth. Now, I was looking up mouth in the dictionary and it said this. It's a cavity, which kind of made me laugh. It's a hole in the head, okay, used in eating and speaking. It's an opening at which anything can enter. Um, and then it said it's an outfall of. And I said, oh, it just reminded me of a sewage pipe, you know, like, like oh. So it's like garbage in, garbage out. And the Bible actually says that. Matthew 12 and Luke 6 says, out of the meditation of our heart, the mouth speaks, okay? So what's, going, what's got into here is what comes out. And Matthew 15, here's one for Wendy's wellness group, <laughs> wherever she's gone. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but that which comes out of the mouth, okay? Why, when you go to the doctors, they get the paddle pop stick that got no ice cream on it okay and they stick it in your mouth to check your tongue out it's because all the poisons and the toxins that are in the body come out on the tongue you know that yucky taste that you get in your mouth like if you didn't clean your teeth properly or something before you went to bed and you wake up in the morning and there's that I think they do Homer Simpson really well 
he's always got a yucky tongue. And Mr. Bean, that's a, yeah, Mr. Bean does the yucky tongue thing too. But, um, but it's, that's like the body excretes all the poisons and the toxins at the tongue, okay, which is, um, mm. and, you know, we are a body, okay? We're the body of Christ and we've got to make sure that we don't have toxins floating around in here that's going to come out when we open our mouths. When I was a school teacher, way back many millions of years ago, um, in Glen Innes, I was a high school teacher and I taught art. And um, I had this little boy in my class, and this was back in the days when things weren't politically correct. Phew, I would have got really into trouble. But um, this is a lesson for you, Willow. (laughs) I had this little boy in my year eight class, and it was a bit of a challenging class, as year eight classes can be. And he just had a really foul mouth. He just, you know, every five seconds of the day, these filthy swear words were coming out of him, and I'd had a gutful of it. And I said, you swear one more time. Because when I was a little girl, if I was rude or cheeky, my mum and my grandmother used to say, I'll wash your mouth out with soap. Anyone else have a mother who, yeah, okay. And um, anyway, so I just went into automatic, as you do when you're a school teacher and you're copying your mother. Okay, and I just say, you swear one more time, I'll wash your mouth out with soap. And of course, what does he do? Swears one more time. But we were in an art room and art rooms have really big sinks with really big taps and huge chunks of government supply soap. (laughs) (laughs) So I lathered up my hands and um, he very obligingly poked his tongue right out and we wiped the soap down his tongue and everyone cheered in the classroom and that little kid never swore again in my classroom and no one reported me to the authorities. (laughs) But... um, I knew he wouldn't die because every time I'd been to the dentist, their mouths, their fingers taste like soap in your mouth, you know that. So I knew he wasn't going to die. And because I never got my mouth washed out with soap. <laughs> okay. All right. So we all know this scripture. The tongue is a small part of the body in James 3, yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity, and it sets on fire the course of our life. Now, this is a Pentecostal church, okay, and many of us have been gifted by the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues, but even that is not good enough when we think about the kingdom language. Corinthians says this, If I could speak in the tongues of men and angels but don't love others, I would only be making meaningless noise like a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. You know, I did need my mouth to be washed out with soap, A few weeks ago, I found an old journal of mine from a few years ago when I was writing down my kind of like Bible journal. And um, it was January 2003. It was after our extremely outrageous year when we lived between Coffs and Bonora and Byron Bay, okay? We saw like schizophrenic and so am I. And and it was January. It was before I was pregnant with Hayley. And I can't even remember what the circumstances were that made me write this, thank you. Thank God for his mercies, okay? But I just want to read you what was in my journal at the time. It says, A fast of the mouth, not of food, but of choice of speech. I've been reading Cindy Jacobs' book, Women of Destiny, and I've been challenged regarding the vomit of negative words coming from my mouth, regarding some things that have happened to me over the past few years. I've been convicted by the Holy Spirit to have a three-day fast from speaking negatively about anyone or anything. 
I know this will be a huge challenge as I've developed a habit to the contrary. Even though negatively dealt with, I still have no excuse to respond to those people with negative comments to or away from their face. I feel the tainting of my heart, my countenance, my motivation. It reminds me of Frodo in The Lord of the Rings. Slipping on the ring became an easy escape but wielded such negative power over him. In the same way, I do not want to be mastered by my mouth and my thoughts, but rather let the word of God richly dwell in my heart so clear, pure, life-giving water flows from me. Therefore, I'm endeavouring to build the SOAP, S-O-A-P, Bible Daily Devotion, into my life, and I'm looking forward to the clean-up and the freedom and the release. Thank you, Lord, for your patience, grace and mercy. And then I went on and I wrote all these scriptures out. And two of them were this, Isaiah chapter 60, uh, chapter 6, I'm sorry, which is that one where it goes, I see the Lord and he's high and lifted up and the train of his robe fills the temple. And Isaiah is just totally blown away by how incredible God is and how holy he is. And he says, woe to me, for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he'd taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. And then the next scripture I read was Psalm 19. And the the whole of that psalm is so amazing. It's just about words declaring how incredible God is, words declaring what he wants to do on the planet. You know, it's an amazing scripture. Verse 1 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. And then down to verse 14 it says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Um, when I was a little girl, we moved to um, North Gosford and I started school at Wyoming Public School. And that was the time when men first walked on the moon. Anyone here game enough to say, I remember that. Okay, black and white telly and the whole bit. And television began in school. It was very amazing technological breakthrough. Everybody under my age goes, no television, they can't conceive of it. But anyway, in 1969, Neil Armstrong was the first man to walk on the moon. Have we got that, Bruce? Okay, he left his footprint on the moon and that footprint is still there today and it'll still be there tomorrow. It'll be there for a really, really long time. Um, You know, all of us walk through life and we leave footprints. We leave footprints where we walk. We leave footprints um, as we pass. We leave footprints actually right across other people's lives. And the Bible refers over and over and over again to the principle of sowing and reaping. And, you know, soil, when we want to sow into soil, soil actually gets richer and more fertile the more that dead things get sown into it. And for us here in the house of God, if we want to create a rich environment, okay, if we want it to get richer and richer and more fertile so that people can live, okay, We've actually got to begin to die more and more to ourselves. We've got to die to speaking words of death. We've got to die um, to all sorts of stuff, okay? It's, It's that heart of sacrifice, that heart of surfing. Every time, 
every time we put ourselves aside, we put our own agenda aside, we, we die, okay? We're actually making the soil here richer and richer and richer. And just like Charlotte the spider, she died so that the little pig could have life. We need to have that same attitude that we die, okay, to bring words of life to the body of Christ here, our brothers and sisters, to Jesus as we worship him and to the hurting humanity that's around about us. We need to hold out the words of life so that people aren't just surviving but they begin to thrive in the fertile of house of God. Romans says this, Romans 15, and I loved um, what Robin did this morning in the worship. I loved hearing everyone's voices coming out with thanks and all those different accents and all the different timbers of people's voices. It was great. It says, May God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other each with the attitude of Christ Jesus towards the other, then all of you can join together with one voice. Other translations say with one mouth, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're nearly finished. You know, um, Isaiah 61 was one of the prophetic scriptures that we were given when we came to Byron Bay, and it really sums it up. Listen to the first few verses. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon us because... The Lord has appointed us to bring good news to the poor. He has set us to comfort the brokenhearted, to announce that captives will be released and prisoners set free. He has sent us to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favour has come, that it's time to speak words of life. I want to finish with these Proverbs. Proverbs 31 says, Speak up. For those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute, speak up, judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And we'll go back to one of those Proverbs we started with, Proverbs 3. It says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do so. I just so want to challenge us as the house of God here in Byron Bay to just really desire to speak words of life, words of life, okay, that have them dripping out of us, that we can see transformation in people's lives, that we can put a smile on the king's face. And I just want to um, encourage you guys today, if there's something going on, you think, oh, yeah, I really need, you know, that burning coal like Isaiah had to come on my lips, um, don't come and talk to me, okay, Talk to your brothers and sisters and get them to pray for you and get accountable in that. We're all priests. The Bible says that. You don't need me to pray for you. But what I would really love to do today, and that is if there is anybody here and you do not know the word of life, you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you have not experienced the King and the kingdom, you have not experienced the kingdom of life, then I would love to introduce you. Because, you know, we are all sinners. And apart from Jesus dying on the cross to save us from our sin, like the little pig in Charlotte's Web, we're, we're mincemeat, okay? We are history. But Jesus chose to give his life that we might have life. And that is offered to you today. So I'm just going to get everyone to bow their heads. And if you would love to meet the word of life, 
and to say, I'm sorry, I've stuffed life and I really am sorry for my sin and I really need a saviour, then I want you to look at me and I would love to pray with you. And then we will bring someone alongside you to explain further how you can walk through life for the rest of your life with words of life flowing through you. So I'm just going to ask you, keep your heads bowed. And if that's you this morning, if you just want to look at me, then I will pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you, life, the word of life, will flow through each one of us. And I thank you, God, for those life-saving words that you've breathed into us. Lord, we give you all glory, all honour, the word of life. In Jesus' name, amen.